Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us. Welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the conversation here on today's program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We've got a great show lined up for you here today. Coming up in segment two, it is the January episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. We're looking forward to diving into that coming up here in just a little bit. In segment three, we're going to talk with Tanner Emke, lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank. They released a 2024 year-ahead report towards the end of December. We're going to talk about that report and some of the uh, things that they are looking for at CoBank as we are now into the new year. And we'll have a look at some news headlines coming up here at the end of the program today as well. One thing I want to mention, too, here as we get into the program, we need to welcome a brand new affiliate to the AOA family, KWOA in Worthington, Minnesota, AM730. We appreciate them uh, carrying Agriculture of America and uh, thank them for uh, joining our family here as a new affiliate, and we do appreciate it, of course. So um, congrats and uh, thanks to the folks at KWOA for joining us here on AOA. Well, let's take a look at what's happening in the market trade. Joining us now, Don Rose with U.S. Commodities. And Don, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us on the show today. And, uh, you know, uh, the first trading session of the year was kind of rough in the grain and oil seeds. So far on Wednesday, it's a little bit quieter. How are things looking to you as we are at the uh, middle point of the week? Yeah, good morning, Jesse, and Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Um, you know, I think, first of all, when you look at it, this market is one that is uh, taking some risk premium out of the market. Um, we're uh, seeing some improved weather conditions in the northern part of Brazil, central Brazil. That's the area that was dry, basically, uh, Jesse, since the 1st of September. So I think the real question mark is going forward, do we revert back to those hotter, drier patterns, uh, or is this a real pattern change that sticks with us? Well, and I know that we traded South America weather, of course, through much of December and now here into January. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that I, I think a lot of producers here in the U.S., at times we can struggle with it because we hear about some of the issues in Brazil and Argentina and how much it impacts our prices here in the U.S., Don. It's, it seems like over the last few years, it's become such a, a, a bigger talking point in our markets, hasn't it? Well, you know, most definitely, Jesse. I think if you look at it, uh, you know, back in the 70s, they were just getting going on raising soybeans. And, you know, here we are now. Brazil raises uh, alone about one and a half times the volume of soybeans that we do. So, you know, they're just the big elephant in the room. But, you know, when you look at it in the big picture of things, Jesse, you know, the government uh, starting, uh, you know, last year, uh, basically in February, started telling us they were going to fight inflation and they were going to specifically target food. Uh, inflation, energy inflation, and, you know, the government, uh, I'd say they reached their objective. You know, they beat the energy markets down and they beat the, uh, for the most part, the agricultural food commodities down. So, you know, there's where we're sitting if we can overcome that going forward. 
Well, as we look at these markets, I know too, Don, when we roll into a new calendar year, it always feels like that first, second week of the year could be a pretty busy time for farmer selling. Uh, and I know launch basis around the country, that's something that we got to keep our eye on in terms of some of that farmer selling. Are you seeing a lot of movement here early in this new calendar year in terms of especially this corn market uh, moving grain to town at all? You know, we are, Jesse, and I think probably, you know, one of the things I think we know from a producer standpoint that very few people want to own a crop as you hit the uh, end of August, the middle of August. So between now and then, you're, you know, the selling picks up. And who wants to own 2.1 billion bushels of corn uh, the 1st of September? That's the real issue. So it's kind of musical chairs, and uh, there's grain that continues to move. There's big carries in the market from uh, March is 463. You've got July corn at 487. So, you know, that's an elusive one. Uh, that's probably the, one of the marketing uh, targets that a person can look at is if you don't have to move it right now, do you take advantage of the carries in the market here? But, um, you know, most definitely it's a market that uh, big selling after the first of the year. But we're also on some big lows here in a market that's oversold. And, you know, you got to be careful at these levels because if this weather changes back in Brazil, which certainly it could, to a warmer, drier pattern, you can add some risk premium to this market pretty fast, Jesse. But I know the producers want to move the grain. Uh, these DP contracts where you can move the grain, not have to pay storage, um, you know, they're a real anchor on the market historically. We're talking with Don Rose from U.S. Commodities here today on AOA. Don, as we uh, think about the funds and some of that managed money uh, and their positions in this market, there's been some chatter that a lot of funds might be wanting to move their money out of commodities and into this stock market, which is continuing to soar, setting more record highs here in recent days. Is that something you're concerned about is a, a big shift of a lot of this managed money out of commodities and livestock and into just the stock market as a whole? You know, and, and I know that's always a concern, but I tell you, I think the real thing is uh, money will flow in if it looks like there's a story and if there's a, a, a chance to have a better return in the commodities and in the equity markets. And I guess I'm a little bit different look. You know, when you have the equity markets at this high of a price, um, you know, and the commodities down at this low of a level here on big setbacks are kind of the opposite of what's been going on this last year. Commodities have been going down, equities going up uh, in spite of interest rates going up. And so I'm not so sure, uh, I guess from our standpoint, um, we would like to believe that the commodities have some value here um, versus the equity markets. How about over in the protein sector? I know we started uh, the year on Tuesday with the cattle futures uh, soaring higher, hogs under some pressure, pretty quiet markets across the proteins on Wednesday. Uh, what's your thoughts with some of this early week, early year activity in livestock, Don? Well, yeah, I think, you know, first of all, in the hog market, it's just been a real issue. You know, got uh, pasted again yesterday. Um, you know, we've got the breeding herd continues to get smaller. The efficiency's up. You know, the Sepnova uh, pig crop was up 4% over a year ago, despite the uh, lower sow numbers. So I, I think that's part of the issue. But uh, someplace in 24, the uh, hog market should have a better look at a positive type of a market. Um, but um you know, when you see this much liquidation going on and some of the worst conditions that we've had in the hog industry since the uh, egg depression in hogs of 1998. But um, that said, that's the hog market. The cattle market, 
Um, I think it's all about demand as we go forward. Uh, Packers losing about $80 a head right now. Um, we had some storm premium put in the market here to start the week. Um, and also, you know, historically that last week of December is a positive move on the cash cattle 10 out of 10 years, and it did it again um, this, uh, this, this year. So um, cattle market issue is going to be demand, uh, bigger numbers, and can the, pack, can the feedlot stay current, Jesse? Well, Don, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today, and we will talk to you again soon. Really appreciate it. Yep, thanks for uh, being uh, being with me. Don Rose with U.S. Commodities joining us here today on AOA. All right, coming up next, it is the January episode of the Monthly Grind with Denny Vinacotter from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman with the U.S. Grains Council. That's next on AOA. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at 
fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us here today. Jesse Allen back with you. Right now it is time for the January episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us for our program this month, Denny Vitacotter, the Market Development Action Team Chairman with NCGA. Denny, thanks for joining us here this month. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. And also joining us with the U.S. Grains Council, Ellen Zimmerman is with us. Ellen, great to have you with us on the program this month. The pleasure is all mine. Happy to be here. Well, let's start, Ellen, with you. And just uh, for a refresher for some folks, who is the U.S. Grains Council? Let's start there. Yeah, so the U.S. Grains Council is a membership organization and also a cooperator of uh, USDA. So we have the pleasure of working with folks around the world promoting corn, sorghum, and barley. Um, And we do that with U.S. stakeholders. We have 184 member uh, organizations. And like I said, we promote exports of corn, sorghum, and barley. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the the partnership between the U.S. Grains Council and NCGA. And and, and Ellen, maybe you could start and then we'll go to Denny here. Uh, Talk about how NCGA and USGC kind of work together to solve various problems. Yeah, so our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in in making that happen. Like I mentioned, we do exports around the world. We have a global footprint with representation in more than 25 countries, and we have programs in more than 60. Um, And we do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in uh, trade policy efforts domestically and of course demand building too and so uh, we kind of march to the same beat if you will um, with those uh, items in trade policy trade servicing and demand building just with different footprints when we're looking domestically and globally so that's uh, we we work alongside with the same um, you know stakeholders here in the U.S. Well, Denny, let's you uh, jump in here a little bit and talk about uh, some of that relationship between NCGA and the U.S. Grains Council from uh, from the corn growers' perspective. Yeah, so like for our perspective is, you know, they can't they can't go to the hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and D, and and that's where we come in as growers in that is, you know, they need these funds and they see a need for these funds, but that's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds for NCGA. Or if there's a policy or like a trade barrier in another country, that's, that's, uh, that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers and that we go start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Well, and Denny, I know too, uh, you guys have done a lot of joint ventures with the U.S. Grains Council, a trade policy school, working to update various studies, et cetera. So I know that's some of the relationship too between uh, both the NCGA and USGC, isn't it? Yeah, so we help 
partner with U.S. Grains Council in updating the value of export study. And what that does is like, so when I go into a representative's office, it, it, it broke it down into like congressional districts or in a, the state and what that means to their state in these, in these exports and that. So it, it helps to bring it back to home. Well, Ellen, I, Denny mentioned the uh, map at FMD funding, and I want to talk about that a little bit because we talked about that on our November episode. We talked about the importance of that funding, but I know there's been a new acronym uh, being thrown around here as well, RAP, the uh, Regional Agricultural uh, Promotion Program, I believe is what it's uh, officially called. Can you talk about that a little bit uh, for folks who may not be aware, Ellen? Yeah, absolutely. So MAP and FMD, the Market Access Program, the Foreign Market Development Program, those are the first two acronyms we've been using. Those are allocations through the Farm Bill. That's how, uh, when I said we're cooperators with USDA, those are funds that we get through the Farm Bill uh, Program. And so um, that's how we're able to have kind of deploy those tools that I mentioned earlier and, and work with our stakeholders to have programs and promote U.S. program uh, products. RAP is a new and exciting program that we have, Regional Agriculture Promotion Program. You're exactly right. It's $3 billion not allocated through the Farm Bill. And, uh, you know, historically, we have not seen uh, new dollars through MAP and FMD, uh, even though our our partners uh, with NCGA have been working very hard to uh, uh, advocate for that. And so this means that we're able to really expand our programming. This is a doubling of MAP and FMD um, dollars, even though it's not the same dollars, it's the same type of work. Um, and we're looking at specific uh, regions, of course, regional agriculture promotion, promotion program. And uh, these are specifically looking at Africa, you know, Southeast Asia, Latin America. Those are the areas that we're focusing on uh, with these with these dollars. And it also allows us to plan a little bit more long term because we're we're doing five year applications now with these dollars. And so this is giving us an opportunity to really think big. And like I said, plan long term and so we're really excited about this opportunity yeah really looking long term and, and expanding some of those export markets or, or helping to open some of these export markets even more for u.s grains uh denny i'll come back to you i want to talk about some current top market priorities here as we start off 2024 you know we hear about map and fmd funding and the wrap program and we think about all that does for us around the world but we also i know have some trading partners close to home where there's some things that we're watching closely. I think uh, about Mexico as a, a top place here with the GM decree. I know that's been an issue. Plus, we just saw the the rail transit to, to Mexico suspension that was a uh, issue and could still be. So talk about some of those things. I'd have to think they're some of the top market priorities for NCGA here this year. Well, well, they are. When Mexico is like one of the top top uh, trading partners and it and they are so close to home it's just like when i haul my grain to town it's like you like to take it to the closest place you know instead of have to go further down the road so yeah th them are really important you know with the when they closed the uh i think about when they closed the the border down with trains you know when when your animals when you're when you need that supply of corn and you're depending on something being open, 
that really throws a monkey wrench into your system. And, and when the trains got held up and that, it really backlogs things. Well, and it, it definitely backlogs things. And it's, it's, you know, a, it's an issue that is something to watch for, for sure here moving forward. And I know as well with the Mexico GM decree, Danny, and that too, uh, you know, something uh, on a little more positive note, uh, sustainable aviation fuel and ethanol expansion efforts, those are other things that I think are on the horizon for us here in a big way in 2024, aren't they? Oh, they they are sustainable aviation fuel. I mean, that's a that's a brand new market where we could, uh, you know, uh, corn ethanol can supply a big portion of that, and and that would really help uh, grind the grind a surplus that we are starting to acquire here. So it is really a brand new market and hopefully a good opportunity for us yeah a lot of things to consider there ellen i'll come back to you as we think about you know the grains council and the work that you guys do to help uh, keep open uh, our export markets but also expand our export opportunities and if anyone listening in today is a member of the u.s grains council wants to learn more about issues impacting trade or how to get involved uh, i wonder where can they go to learn more ellen yeah, so I would really encourage them to check out our website, www.grains.org. We have, of course, the the value of trade study that Denny mentioned is available on our website. They can see how uh, grain exports are really impacting their state and learn some about our most recent programs uh, by commodity or by region. And um, if they're not a member, you can also find the membership application. We'd love to have them uh, get involved in that way as well. Uh, and they can reach out to me as well, ezimmerman at grains.org. We'd also like to put a plug in for our members. We do have our upcoming International Marketing Conference and annual membership meeting in Guatemala City taking place February 14th through the 16th. Registration is open uh, and we're really excited about that. We're going to be talking about efforts in Latin America and of course our regional agriculture promotion program application and, and our plans for that there too. So lots going on, lots of exciting things uh, as usual here at the Grains Council. Well, again, grains.org or ncga.com for more information. And with that, we're out of time on the January episode of the Monthly Grind. Deddy Vita Cotter, MDOT, Cha MDOT Chairman, along with Ellen Zimmerman from U.S. Grains Council. Thank you both for joining us here on the program this month. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Tanner M. Key, Lead Grains and Oil Seeds Economist at CoBank, on the way here on AOA. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. back looking at another lopsided matchup Jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields 
It's no contest. Every day, people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are mixed but mostly lower this morning. The grains are often posed for a rebound after a bearish start to the week, hence the turnaround Tuesday trope. But the second day of this holiday shortened work week is giving no such indication. Fundamental help is tough to come by for the bulls. Stonex Brazil did sharply cut soybean production yesterday, but that number was clearly already baked into market expectations and may find it tough to go any lower given the much more beneficial rain pattern for the country as of late. Moreover, Argentina is set to make up for any deficits and supplies remain ample here in the U.S. Corn and soybean export paces are running decently enough and the spigot of daily flash sales has dried up. Demand shocks currently are non-existent here through the winter months. Now, the bulls can always hope for a surprise from the January USDA reports as there's always enough data in that release to give everyone something to look at. Now, the wheat markets are sharply lower this morning after showing some signs of a potential reversal of trend, especially in Chicago March, are falling again. Chicago, which had closed above both the 20- and 50-day moving average, is threatening to close below both today. The increased tensions and shipping concerns in both the Black and Red Sea has had little bullish impact on wheat so far. Now, Russia is reported to have again struck the port of Odessa with drones yesterday. Russian wheat offers continue to also be the world's most economical, with Russian FOB offers reported to be near $245 per metric ton. Now, while the U.S. soft red wheat balance sheet surely tightened after Chinese purchases a few weeks ago, U.S. hard wheat demand does remain sluggish, with hard red winter sales still off 36% from last year. Inspections last week were only 10.6 million bushels, and total shipments are down 19% from a year ago. While the dollar is sharply higher this morning, as well as crude oil, which is about 2% higher. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Joining us now, we want to talk about the latest 2024 year-ahead report out from CoBank and get an idea of uh, what uh, what to expect in the markets, the ag economy, and more as we move into this new year. Joining us now, he is the lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank, Tanner Emke. Tanner, Happy New Year to you and yours. Thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me back, Jesse. 
Well, let's dive right in here, Tanner. And as we look at the new 2024 year ahead report uh, out from you and the team there at CoBank, what's the big headline that you saw that really jumps out at you here as we looked at this report and move into the new year? Well, as you know, Jesse, uh, we live in a world of risk that seems to only continue escalating, and that's slowing down the world economy. And it didn't matter; it doesn't matter what market you're in, what commodity you're in. The slowing global economy uh, is going to be affecting uh, the outlook. And uh, our anticipation is that that's going to be uh, causing some pressure on commodity prices in general. Uh, that being said, we've got the expectation of the Federal Reserve to be cutting rates at some point uh, next year. Now, that's way up in the air. Obviously, there's a lot of things we can talk about uh, in regard just to the Federal Reserve uh, and uh, their response to inflation uh, slowing down. But the outlook here is that uh, we're going to have to go with what uh, the market is anticipating, which is uh, some measure of interest rate cuts. What does that mean for agriculture? What does that mean for commodity prices in general? Uh, That's a positive. Because as interest rates come down, that's a loosening of the monetary uh, policy, easing of the money supply, and that puts a stronger floor under commodity prices because the value of the dollar uh, is going to come down. And that's the trend that we're seeing right now in the value of the dollar dollar as we head into 2024. So uh, the trend there I I anticipate is to continue uh, if the Federal Reserve follows through on this plan. Uh, in addition to uh, a slowing global economy. Uh, so what what that means then is, broadly speaking, that puts a stronger floor under commodity prices because would, uh, we would see stronger export demand for uh, our commodities. Well, Tanner, throwing that stronger floor under commodity prices, I think that's something that a lot of producers would want to hear, both uh, on the grain and the livestock side. I mean, you think about where commodity prices are at right now as we kicked off the new year, and a lot of farmers making those key decisions as they get ready to plant arguably their most expensive crop ever here as we get into 2024. Some would say maybe they did that last year. Well, this year could be even costlier. So talk about that a little bit, because I think that's going to be a key piece to watch here as we move into the new year. Yeah, it's it's always hard to, hard to talk about uh, cost production because costs never seem to go down. Uh, but we do have a couple of things here to celebrate, Jesse, and that is our in, our uh, costs of your, your big inputs like fuel and fertilizer are down compared to last year. Uh, interest expenses exposed to come down, is expected to come down if the Federal Reserve is, uh, raise, lowers their rates, excuse me. So there's the positives there. Now, everything else that uh, we follow, you, you, you've got uh, labor costs continually going up so, because we're continually tight on labor in this country, and that only seems to be getting worse. Uh, we have um, uh, rising uh, expenses for uh, other raw materials. As we head into, uh, into 2024, we're seeing steel, copper, and lumber prices going to recover. In a response to this expectation that the Federal Reserve would cut interest rates, thereby making construction a little bit more viable. And so, therefore, you're, uh, we're already seeing those uh, raw materials be, being bid up. And that's going to cost the farmer some more on the farm if they're wanting to uh, do any CapEx projects like building a grain bin or a warehouse, anything like that. Uh, Machinery prices also remain fairly high. Land prices uh, don't seem to be budging either. So when you look at those key costs, especially land and machinery, uh, 
there's no sign that those are coming down. And it doesn't look like 2024 would be the year where, where we'd see those really drop down. It would be perhaps in the years 2025 uh, where we, or 2026, where we see perhaps those, uh, those expenses like land and cash runs and machinery uh, kind of start to soften. Um, but at, on the big and the big picture, yes, you're right. Uh, it is going to be a very expensive crop. Hopefully we can continue to see a weakening of fertilizer and fuel prices to take some of the edge off. And those are some great points you make. There are some of the inputs that have come down, and so that's something to watch for closely. You mentioned, you know, talking about the Fed and interest rates and more, and I think another aspect, another caveat we could wrap into this is uh, some of those conversations that farmers have been having or are having right now with their ag bankers here as we roll into the new year. Talk about that aspect. I don't know how much of that was wrapped up in CoBank's 2024 year-ahead report, but I know a, a lot of tough conversations, farmers coming off of a few good years of profitability, maybe had some good cash reserves. But, you know, as we move forward with this high interest rate environment that we're seeing and more, I know a lot of tough conversations being had out there uh, amongst farmers and ranchers and their ag bankers. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect of this whole equation right now? For sure, there's there's going to be a little bit of stress out there with commodity prices having come down and expenses uh, feel remaining fairly static. Um, I will point out, you noted uh, earlier, Jesse, that we had some really phenomenal in, uh, incomes on the farm over the last couple of years. And our customers uh, have some interesting anecdotes of what that has meant for them, for the co-ops I'm talking about. A lot of the co-ops of our, our customers are telling us that farmers have asked to defer income not only into 2024, which is not uncommon, uh, into, you know, deferring it into the next year, but into 2025, and in some rare instances, even into 2026. Okay, farmers are carrying over a fair amount of cash, and they defer that income to reduce their tax expense. So I would just preface it saying that, yeah, we're going to see a compression of margins, but we're carrying over a fair amount of cash uh, from the last couple of years, uh, which have been very healthy. So I think that although we are going to hear some stories out there of, of financial stress on the farm, and that's not to be minimized by any regard, uh, we do have to keep in mind that the farmer is coming in with a fair amount of cash. And uh, a lot of farmers are trying to move that, spread that cash out over uh, the future years to reduce their tax liability. How about the global economic picture? Uh, is that playing into the equation here as we look ahead to 2024? Did uh, you guys look at that in your co-bank reports? I know, you know, I hear a lot of these uh, headlines about China's economy is not in good shape and it's doom and gloom there and we should be worried about that and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, give me some thoughts on, on the global economic outlook. Uh, what are you seeing in the year ahead here for 2024? Well, China is one of our biggest trading partners in agriculture and one of our biggest trade, our biggest trading partner for the United States. And so our economies are tied together. Now we, we can hate each other as much as we want, but at the end of the day, the United States benefits from a healthy Chinese economy. Um, we need them growing so we can sell them more, more of our products. Uh, China clearly has a lot of headlo- uh, headwinds that have been talked about a lot over the past year that are not, are not going away. Uh, they have a declining population. They got the demographic issues of a very high uh, youth unemployment rate. Uh, they've got uh, a lot of uh, elderly that are retiring and not a lot enough workers to replace them. 
they've got a very toxic debt situation, especially in regards to their real estate sector. They've got the business community scared uh, with all of the talk coming, all the regulations uh, coming from their uh, government. And then there's the, the, the fear about something that could happen between the United States and China, militarily speaking, uh, over Taiwan or China's support of some of our adversaries uh, like Russia. So we have some concerns there that are causing headwinds uh, for their economy that are not to be discounted at all. They're, they're all fairly big. Every, every individual one of those um, uh, headwinds that I itemized there Jesse, are all, are all fairly large concerns. And so there's some big concerns over the Chinese economy. Uh, they could, uh, again, slip into a period of deflation, and that would not be good for the Chinese economy because then they would spiral uh, out of control, uh, potentially, if they don't have uh, the capacity to dig themselves out. So we, we need a healthy China. Uh, it's just that this is the, the China today is not the China it was several years ago. And so uh, that growth outlook is quite a bit uh, lower than it was in prior years. And so our exports ultimately are going to be affected by that. Well, appreciate the perspective and uh, great thoughts here, Tanner. Before we wrap it up today, I know we haven't really dove uh, much into the commodity markets or anything. So if you got anything else you want to add about that or just uh, the overall ag economy outlook here for 2024 and the year ahead, uh, anything else you would add for folks uh, or reiterate to folks here listening in today? I'd say uh, the the outlook uh from the way I look at it, uh, is generally a positive on so many things. Uh, our cost of inputs are down. Fuel and fertilizer are down. Interest, uh, interest expense is going to be coming down. And with a cheaper dollar, uh, conceivably putting a stronger floor under prices, I think that uh, not going to be as bad perhaps as some, as some are forecasting. Well, I know folks can read the full 2024 year ahead report from CoBank. It is under the knowledge exchange section on the CoBank website. If you just go to cobank.com and you'll see the knowledge exchange tab right up at the top uh, in the menu bar. If you click on that, you'll be able to navigate and find the 2024 year ahead report. With that, lead grain and oilseed economist with CoBank, Tanner MK. Tanner, thanks so much for joining us here today on AOA. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Once again, Tanner Emke there with CoBank joining us today on AOA. Again, find that report, CoBank.com, under the Knowledge Exchange tab. All right. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines before we wrap up the program, including USDA set to reconvene the FMMO hearings, the Federal Milk Marketing Order hearings. We're going to talk about that and more on the way next here on AOA. now we tend not to think about now we dream about tomorrow relive yesterday but sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us victory over cancer is in front of us right now cancer research is saving lives cancer research funded by the v foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately one day victory over cancer Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, 
and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, about how the right fuel will keep equipment running in the winter. Charlie, what happens to diesel fuel in equipment when temperatures drop, and why does that matter? Standard number two diesel fuel generally does not fare well in cold temperatures. Diesel fuel can form crystals and clog filters and fuel lines, and prolonged freezing temps can cause engines to not operate properly. That can basically lead to that dreaded downtime that we all hate. So uh, it's really important to take precautions to prevent these issues from occurring, especially in cold weather conditions. Charlie, when should farmers switch their diesel blends? Yeah, so every situation is going to be slightly different and somewhat temperature dependent. So it's important that you work with a knowledgeable fuel supplier who has a grasp on the diesel characteristics in their geography. With that being said, you should be blending your tanks to a winter blend when temperatures are right around the freezing point or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's important to blend early and when the fuel is at least 10 degrees above the cloud point of the fuel or it won't mix well together. When you're thinking about cost and performance, what's the best way to determine the best winter fuel blend? So you will need to decide really what's best for your individual operation and what temperature you expect to be able to operate your equipment in. So if your operation relies on your equipment needing to be up in those harshest climates, you're undoubtedly going to need to invest in a diesel blend that's going to meet those needs. You're going to run the risk of being stranded on the side of the road, unable to perform your critical tasks. So it's best to discuss the specific needs with your fuel supplier as they're going to be able to deliver the high quality Cenex fuels at the correct blends for optimal performance and peace of mind. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your card donation will directly impact military families, veterans, 
providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. While farmers' sentiment changed very little in December compared to the preceding month, the Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer recorded a reading of 114, just one point lower than a month earlier. The new barometer released here this week. Both sub-indices of the barometer, the Index of Current Conditions and the Index of Future Expectations, also fell one point below their respective November readings. The Current Conditions Index for December was 112, while the Future Expectations Index was 115. All three indices were weaker than in December 2022, with the barometer falling 10% below a year earlier. Farmers still pointed to input costs at year-end as their top concern for the year ahead, but the percentage of farmers choosing the risk of lower crop and or livestock prices rose from just 16% in January to 26% in December. Now, we're going to dive into these numbers uh, a little bit more in depth and have a conversation with Dr. Jim Mintert. He heads up the Ag Economy Barometer. He's the director at the Center for Commercial Agriculture and professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University. And uh, I know we'll have Jim on the next couple of days to go through the numbers and give us the rundown, the latest that they saw in the December barometer. And as we flip the calendar over to 2024, what could lie ahead. So looking forward to that conversation uh, here with Jim Minter coming up in just a couple of days here on AOA. Well, the Department of Agriculture is going to reconvene the national public hearing to consider proposals seeking to amend the uniform pricing formulas applicable in all 11 federal milk marketing orders. The process will restart January 16th, lasting through the 19th, and will reconvene again on the 29th if needed. Now, the hearing began last August, and it's being held in Carmel, Indiana. Copies of the notice to reconvene, guidelines for participating, and exhibits entered during the hearing are available on the National Federal Milk Marketing Order Pricing Formula Hearing webpage. That can be found by going to ams.usda.gov. Now, proponents contend that the uniform FMMO pricing formula should be amended as significant changes in the dairy industry and milk marketing have occurred since their adoption in the early 2000s. 40 proposals were submitted by stakeholders for consideration of those 21 directly impacted the uniform pricing formulas and are being considered at the hearing. Now, dairy producers may testify in person at any time during the hearing. So again, USDA going to reconvene the FMMO hearings January 16th. The process will restart and it will last through the 19th and then reconvene again on the 29th of this month if necessary. Well, the waters of the U.S. rule rewrite topped the list of agricultural issues for the National Agricultural Law Center in 2023. While WOTUS was the top issue for the year, California's Proposition 12 came in second, with a one-year Farm Bill extension third. The organization listed EPA's rollout of the Endangered Species Protection Program and the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act fourth. Other top issues include the Arkansas foreign ownership of land restrictions, competition in the livestock sector, and water use from the Colorado River. 
Now, right to repair gained traction as farmers continue to advocate for the right to access manufacturer-controlled tools and information. The list rounds out with the growth in the industrial hemp sector and civil litigation over pesticides such as glyphosate exposure. Now, the organization, the National Agricultural Law Center, expects corporate transparency rules requiring disclosure of ownership interests in companies, proposed H-2A changes, and a myriad of issues before the Supreme Court as ones to watch for 2024. Well, the White House's climate agenda has hit some turbulence amid record U.S. oil production and pushback from some in agriculture. You won't hear the president boast about it, the Washington Post reports, but the U.S. is producing more than 13 million barrels of oil a day, a record even as his climate spending soars. But gas prices have eased, key to Biden's re-election chances with oil project approvals in Alaska and West Virginia as Biden tries to walk a political tightrope between consumers and environmentalists. Meantime, Republicans like Doug LaMalfa of California's rural 1st District are pushing back on the president's climate agenda. And planting crops and transporting anything. If you got it, a truck brought it. It's probably a diesel-powered truck. As you see, uh, so many efforts, failed efforts of electrifying vehicles, cars, trucks, etc. Oh, there's a few out there getting around, yes, but not on a dependable basis to keep our supply chain going. And after COP28 in Dubai... You have elites over at conferences like this saying, we need to cut back on meat, we need to cut out agriculture. They want to cut, want us to cut 30% of our agriculture. Well, there's already a food shortage in much of the world, and even in some of our urban areas in this country, as we call them, food deserts. You want to depend on it coming from somewhere else? That works really great. Wait till they have a food embargo, like the, the fuel embargoes we had in the 70s. And while agriculture has embraced some of Biden's climate agenda like conservation spending and carbon credits, LaMalfa and others argue it's gone too far. So it's about time we put aside this nonsense of getting to some kind of zero output of uh, carbon by 2035 or 2050 or whatever nice round number that they dream up as a goal, like my, in my home state of California. LaMalfa argues the U.S. and Europe have already cut carbon emissions 10 to 15 percent, while China, India, and others have done little. Well, speaking of gas prices, they began the new year declining after a late year increase during the holiday season. Gas Buddy reports the nation's average gasoline price reverted, falling 1.6 cents from a week ago to 306 per gallon. The national average is down 17.3 cents from a month ago and 12.6 cents per gallon lower than a year ago. The national average diesel price fell 4.5 cents last week and stands at 3.96 per gallon, 71 cents lower than one year ago. Now, Gas Buddies Pactor DeHaan says, quote, the good news continues for average diesel prices, which slipped below $4 per gallon again and stand at their lowest level since the summer, end quote. And finally, here on the show today, three carbon projects initiated in 2021 and 2022 issued nearly $3 million in carbon asset payments to U.S. dairy farmers who used Angolin ruminant to create verified emissions reductions. A verified emissions reduction is a carbon asset that can be used as an offset or within a value chain. It represents one metric ton of greenhouse gas emissions equivalent that is either avoided or removed from the atmosphere through an intervention that has been independently verified as part of a carbon production project. Agolin ruminant is a proprietary blend of essential oils that improves milk production and feed efficiency in beef and dairy cattle. Concord Agriculture Partners has chosen Agolin ruminant to create a new carbon inset project, which guarantees that participating dairy producers will receive an industry leading 85% of the gross value of the carbon asset. And Alltech, a global leader in agriculture, acquired a majority interest in Agolin SA in May of 2023. 
Well, we're out of time here on AOA today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk farm succession planning with Mike Downey. We'll also look at markets with Mike Zuzalo. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare.